You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hi, I'm Ralph Powell, co founder and CEO of Real Vision. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Vision podcast. At Real Vision, we pride ourselves on providing the best in-depth expert analysis available to help you understand the complex world of finance, business, and the global economy. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll accept my invitation to try Real Vision Plus for 30 days for just $1. Visit realvisionpodcast.com today and join us as we navigate the financial world together. Cheers. The increasing popularity of almond milk could mean that postage stamp storage gets a little more costly. Welcome to the knock-on effect. Welcome to the knock-on effect. I'm Justine Underhill. I'm Alex Rosenberg. And today we're going to be talking about almond milk and what that means for storing postage stamps. But first, I do want to give a little bit of a quick plug for Macro Insiders. Yes, indeed. Uh, there's a special deal on Real Vision's premium research product, Macro Insiders, and it closes very soon. Macro Insiders is co-written by Real Vision co-founder Ralph Powell and Julian Brigden. Yes, and what uh, Ral and Julian do is hash out their own views on the macroeconomic environment and bring readers uh, potentially profitable uh, opportunities and, and ideas. And for more, you can check out realvision.com slash macroinsiders2018 to learn more. And if you're interested, you'll want to act now because you'll <laughs> qualify for a 25% discount. Act now is like... It's not an ad unless someone says act now. <laughs> act now. Act now. <laughs> act now. It's so demanding. I know. Well, actually, speaking of demanding, we're going to get into a Great, little bit of milk today. All right. So we're talking about <laughs> oh, why. Sorry. Speaking of demanding, we're going to get into a little milk today. Well, it'll make sense later. Great. <laughs> Just stick with us for a little bit. Okay. So we're going to talk about why almond milk popularity, which has been surging is going to affect postage stamps. So this all starts out with a recent news event. A few weeks ago, FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb said, quote, an almond doesn't lactate. And that was actually... True. Very true. Yes. It is very true for those of you who have dealt with almonds. I was there for an hour yesterday just trying to pull on the almond udders and... and Milk and almonds. Nothing was happening. Actually, for for those of you who want a little bit um, of a gross image, um, <laughs> there's a, a wonderful uh, piece on the New York Times about oat milk, and it shows them milking oats, which is pretty gross. Oat milk is very hot right now. It is very way. hot. That's and like... so it's all... But that's part of the reason. So there's all these things that are really popular, oat milk, almond milk, soy milk, coconut milk... Um, and to be the FDA, what people think is going to happen is that the FDA may take away their ability to call themselves milk, um, these alt milks. Because what he's getting at is that if it, if it don't lactate, it ain't milk, exactly. as my bumper sticker reads. And you know what's funny is that so the, the dairy industry calls these counterfeits. Counterfeits? You get it? Did you say funny? 
<laughs> I thought it was cute. <laughs> anyway, so if they were to take this um, title away, milk, um, that would be a huge win for the, the dairy industry. Because, But it's funny because, you know, they say this is confusing to consumers, you know, to see all these different milk products. Or, you know, they're also all the, the marketing that the milk companies have done to talk about the health benefits mm-hmm. of milk mm-hmm. um, is now being kind of subverted by... Um, these other companies. But no, I mean, no one thinks that oat milk has like calcium or. Well, and so that, but that's. I mean, where maybe it's it like, does. I don't know anything about health. I, but. but this gets into like you know, do people in the store confuse peanut butter for butter? Absolutely not. Yeah, and so it's sort of like there's all all these other things where, you know, soy milk. I think at this point people pretty much know it's not. It's its actually, own thing. Yeah, so it's, it's yes, exactly, and so that's where. Um, you know, there isn't, it actually might create more confusion if you had soy juice in the grocery store. No, that's, that sounds like like a different, different product. Yeah. And one I'd be... Soy juice. Not that anxious to try. Who knows? Maybe it would start a new trend. Anyway. But, but no one's like, hold on, an eyeglass, but can you drink from it? Like, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Right. That's how language works. We use things we know and we add things. And actually, so the Soy Foods Association <laughs> petitioned the FDA to recognize soy milk as its own thing um, several decades ago. And so, yeah, this would be sort of changing that. But it's interesting to look at what the, the definition of milk is. So milk, um, right now, the definition is that it comes from it's the lactation of, uh, of an animal. I'm so uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Whereas... Um, you know, the the definition in a dictionary is that it comes from an animal or a nut. But then it's like once you get into oats and other things, you know, that the, the definition opens up. Anyway, so that's been going on. And there's been this slow decline of consumption of milk in America. So it's cow's milk specifically. Um, and so a lot of those in the dairy lobby are saying that, you know, all these alt milks are taking away um, money from the milk industry. And so right now, the average American drinks um, an average of 18 gallons of milk per year, whereas in the 1970s, the average American drank 30 gallons of milk Just per year. Just a really disgusting amount of milk. That is a lot that's, of milk I mean, to drink. That's... I am a big fan of milk. I, I like I milk quite a lot. I'm not. Um, my, you know, my mom has never drank milk. She'll have it in her coffee. But she's never had it on its own. I'll, I'll buy gallons of milk and just drink. You'll that. just drink it. You can. I just have it for breakfast. It's like you don't. I don't want like necessarily a heavy meal. I just want like something in my stomach. Ugh, I just feel like the whole the lactating. It's just it's also. Oh man, and also like after a also, workout, it, it, it's it, so great. Chocolate milk's good after work. Yeah, but I don't know. It's the stomach thing, and it's it's. I feel like there's. It's not good for you. I don't know. Who knows? Whatever. I don't know anything about health. I'm just saying. The reason people are having these almond milks and oat milks is not because it's because you know people order a a sixteen ounce latte. So what you're supposed to drink fifteen ounces of milk? It's ridiculous. That's why people have almond milk. It's it's just better. It's better for your stomach. It's easier to drink. Actually, like it's not because they're confused. The the incidents. They're are- actually even paying more, if I may, because it's not like. It's not like there's some, oh, this is a cheaper version of milk. Like, it's more expensive. No one's like, oh, let me get it. Yeah. Well, the, the incidence of uh, lactose intolerance has actually climbed over the years. So that's another reason that people are turning to these alt milks. Mm. It sounds like the alt-right. It's like the alt-right <laughs> or like, yeah. Um, alt music. Um, so meanwhile, non-dairy milk sales. So we, alt milk, non-dairy. It's so funny. Just, alt-right, 
alt music. Like, I feel like there was, anyway. There's, there's a few steps in between. Yeah, yeah. Um, so non-dairy milk sales um, have seen pretty steady growth over the past few years. So from 2012 to 2017, uh, growth in that industry increased by 61%. Meanwhile, the milk industry has been in decline. So right now, dairy farmers are faced with this glut of milk. And while they do blame, you know, the almond milk industry and the alt milk industry for uh, declining sales, there are other reasons for why there are problems with the milk industry and why we're seeing this glut of milk. So right now, better genetics means that cows produce more milk. And so you're seeing this pretty drastic increase from the 1920s to today um, in the amount of milk produced per cow. So cows in the 1920s produced about 4,000 pounds of milk per year. Okay. Whereas today they produce 22,000 pounds of milk, Ugh. which is a huge amount. I mean, but that's incredible um, productivity gains. So, yeah, I mean, it, isn't, it, it probably also reflects a change in the way farms work where like, it used to be that that most farms had cows and chickens. Like, cat had cows, had chickens. They grew corn. They grew this. They sort of did everything, and it all worked together as an ecosystem. And the American farm has shifted toward a, a you know, each okay. This is a corn farm. Okay, mm -hmm. this is a milk farm. This, so specialized. Yeah, and so and so each cow is just like just getting getting. Yeah, milk, getting well, milk, it, but it's also day. there's been selective breeding and all sorts of other things. Right. Um. But then. Do you want to take a guess as to what the median number of cows was on a dairy farm in the 1980s versus today? Um, I'd guess maybe five versus 30. You're crediting a lot more small farms than I think it oh, actually exists. Exactly. Is this anymore? Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> Half of America's dairy farms had 80 or fewer cows in 1987, whereas today they have 900. Wow. So there's been a huge amount of consolidation in the dairy industry, and that's led to... Um, that's such a New York City answer, because I'm just like imagining like, well, I don't know, I could probably fit uh, two or three cows in this apartment, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, five, five cows is like nothing. Um <laughs> And so there's um, been huge amount of cost-efficient, you know, savings. So that's bolstered. That's bolstered milk output. I, I do want to say though, for the small dairy farmers, small dairy farmers have been hurting in the U.S. And mm. this is where it gets a little bit dark. So there's this co-op called Agrimark, and they recently sent out to farmers what milk prices were going to be. This is to a lot of small farms. Okay. They included in the letter were numbers for suicide hotlines. For farmers. Yeah. It's actually... Wow. Th that it's is, like the numbers are so bad that you're going to... Yeah. And so that's where it's... That's another knock-on effect that's, you know... Yeah. Worth looking into in another... Yeah, there there's been, has been a rise in, in uh, farmer... Uh... Suicide. Um, and, and so that's sort of this unfortunate outcome of, of what we've seen going on. And then other reasons that we're seeing this milk glut, there's oftentimes uh, a glut during the summertime. That's because uh, schools are closed and a lot of dairy consumption comes from schools. So, oh, so, so, so the milk glut we're seeing, it's, it, it's, it's seasonal. So we've seen, but we've seen a glut in general, but now, right, right now, as we sit here, it's like, especially a yes. lot of milk. Okay. And this is actually, well, 
what this gets into is that because these farmers are unable to sell their milk, they need to store it for longer periods of time. Sure. And so they're turning it into cheese. That is a very popular thing to do to be able to hold on to this milk and not let it go to waste. Mm. And so specifically right now, the United States has its largest stockpile of cheese uh, in the entire time that we've recorded cheese stockpiles. So that's over the past hundred years. It's our SCR, Strategic Cheese Reserve. Reserve. Yeah, exactly. And we have 1.3 billion pounds in the stockpile. Actually, I'm going to add another decimal point. It's 1.39 billion, so almost 1.4 billion pounds of cheese in the stockpile. Uh, Vox did a really great calculation. It is enough to fill the entire Capitol building with cheese. I'm having so much trouble imagining 1.4 billion pounds of cheese. I mean, I probably only go through two or 300 million pounds a year myself. So Actually, so the average American consumes about 35 pounds of cheese per year. <laughs> no, it's yeah. Um, and we would... I'm probably, I'm probably on the high you're... side of the median. Well, the, in France, they consume way more. Right, so. right. Um, I'm very French in my potatoes. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, it goes well with wine, so it's a ah, nice pairing. Indeed. Um, but actually, what's it, what we would need to do is so every American would need to consume four pounds more cheese per year. Don't let the up. terrorists win, guys. <laughs> Go eat, out and consume another four to eight pounds of cheese. Eat more cheese. <laughs> and because we have so much cheese, um, federal buy-ups have become a uh, common practice. Um, and this is also called quantitative cheesing. cheesing. Yeah, a fun, fun little term. Um, so basically what's happened is that as recently as 2016, uh, the USDA spent $20 million on surplus cheese. Isn't it more like quantitative ch- ch- tightening because they're trying to decrease the cheese supply? But they're, it's like, you know, the, the Fed buys bonds. Right, so now they're the buying And the government cheese. is buying cheese. Got it, So okay. there's a... The SOMA account for the Fed is equivalent to the government stockpiles of cheese. You know, there's there's a connection there. All right. Cool. Anyway, <laughs> don't overanalyze this. Overanalyze this stupid pun. Yeah. <laughs> but what's interesting is that in 2016, the the USDA bought up all this excess cheese, and back then we had 16 percent uh, less cheese in stockpiles than we do today. So it's possible that another federal buy-up could be coming along, although. The Dairy Farmers Association has not, as of today, asked for it yet. Hmm. But they were asking for it in 2016. But this has happened many, many times before in our American history. Actually, Ronald Reagan in the 1980s instituted what's called now the government cheese program. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is where the term government cheese comes from, which bought cheese from farmers uh, in the 1980s and distributed it back to any state that applied. And they actually ended up with uh, the government had a stockpile worth of four billion dollars worth of cheese that they kept time to get on that qvc (laughs) (laughs) call now (laughs) cheese for everyone (laughs) but so so wait but i i just want to want to pause on that for one second because that that's really fascinating because it's it's interesting that it was reagan who created this uh the government cheese program. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, people people think of Reagan as being a lot more, you know, free market. Right, where the, whereas this is like, you know, farmers are producing the wrong amount of milk. And so the government's... I, I mean, it's important that... It's tough because you don't, you don't want to undershoot the amount of milk a, you produce as a country. But if you're overshooting year after year after year because milk consumption is going down, I mean, just let the market... 
do its thing, I think. And so that's where, you know, this was pretty much a national directive since the Great Depression to Mm. support dairy farmers because uh, it was important to have uh, U.S. supply of milk. That was deemed important. And then, you know, they faced a lot of milk went um, to the war effort. And then afterwards, people didn't drink as much milk. So we started seeing more and more problems after World War II. Mm. But I do want to mention, actually, back to the Reagan cheese buy-up. My grandfather worked um, as a judge um, for the Department of Agriculture. And so he actually had to deal a lot with all this cheese buy-up that the, the government was doing because what would happen is sometimes truckloads of cheese would expire when, as they were transporting it. Uh-huh. And then it would, he would have to basically determine who was at fault for the cheese expiry. You know, because the government would buy, buy the cheese and transport it. And yeah, then, yeah. If it didn't last. Yeah, so there's all sorts of wow. cases, case law that, that comes into this. That wow, night. so he was like a cheese judge. Really <laughs> a cheese judge. Yeah, something along those lines. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, this is not the only way that the government supports basically the cheese industry. So there are other ways. And this is where, in our video version, we brought in a cheesy pizza. I mean, you, you have to see it. It's the most disgusting. I, I know... I know we're all supposed to be like, oh, yeah, I love Domino or whatever, fast food. I feel like it's very hip. to, But this was so revolting. I mean, really, really like. I, I had bought it the day before. With it's like, it's like you know how people watch food, the Food Channel? They'll end up eating more. There's like yeah. studies about this. Watch this knock-on effect and you'll eat so much less. It's like an amazing <laughs> weight loss program. Well, the problem was I bought it the day before and so it kind of had like congealed. And yet reheated it right yeah and i reheated it uh you know i want and i was actually considering keeping it to today so that we could actually have it with us we unfortunately well or fortunately fortunately, threw it away but anyway so with the aid of the usda the dairy industry created something called dairy management which has been described as the illuminati of cheese (laughs) and so basically um Dairy management, their their most popular or their, their most um, successful program was previously the Got Milk campaign. That's what they were well known for. But then they kind of went behind the scenes. And so they've been pulling uh, the strings for the past decade <laughs> on many of fast food's greatest hits. Are, are they connected to Pizzagate? Uh, no, no, this is completely not, not that. Okay. So... <laughs> Dairy management helped revive Domino's pizza sales by partnering with them to develop a new line of pizza with 40% more cheese. Awesome. And they also helped devise $12 million marketing campaign with ads and everything like that. Uh, Taco Bell rolled out its uh, quesalupa, which was very popular. It's a, The shell was stuffed with cheese, and dairy management embedded a food scientist at Taco Bell to help uh, basically come up with the type of cheese and insert the cheese into the shell. So fi- basically finding more ways to put more cheese into more products. Yeah, this. I mean, I, I knew nothing about this. This is really this is really incredible. I mean, this is uh, setting aside the you know public health implications, but you have the USDA helping to insert cheese in random foods. It, it, it's, it's really quite fascinating, actually. I do want to make a note, though. So the USDA came under a lot of heat for this when information did about this came. No, they okay. did not melt under pressure. Yeah. But the New York Times had a pretty um, amazing article about all of dairy management's efforts. And now the USDA helped support dairy management, but dairy management is mostly paid for by 
uh, mandatory fees from the dairy producers. Right. Oh, I, and I saw a story about this. There was a guy who was saying, oh, his milk is different from other milk. Because basically, I think actually this was about the Got Milk campaign, mm-hmm. where one farmer who made, you know, milk that he thought was like, artisan, you know, more expensive milk. Yeah. And he thought that the Got Milk campaign flattened it out and made all milk sound the same. And so he didn't want to pay in, but he was being forced. So he actually sued. Oh, yeah. So actually, that's a a big deal is that every single dairy producer needs to pay into this. It's checkoff fees. I don't know if you've heard that before. But um, so... So they're basically, they have to pay into this pool and then that goes into dairy management and dairy management does a lot of these ad campaigns and also food scientists um, embedded in different fast food chains. Uh, But they're specifically working with McDonald's, Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut, Domino's. To add, to add more cheese to these foods, that's so insane. And at the same... Considering the OB, I mean, it really is. Well, and so that's where it gets interesting is because in its reports to Congress, the uh, U.S. Agriculture Department actually tallies dairy management success in the amount of cheese that it's been able to uh, sell to the public. Foist onto the public. Um, And so they they highlighted, um, you know, what Pizza Hut, their Cheesy Bites pizza was able to do. Or, you know, Burger King's Cheesy Angus Bacon Cheeseburger was able to do. And so they basically said that they have been able to generate cheese sales growth of nearly 30 million pounds. There's... All these things where they're extolling how much cheese they're putting into things in these government in these reports to Congress. Meanwhile, at the same time, the USDA is trying to fight this obesity epidemic. So that was like a pretty big um, scandal that they've they faced recently. And so it's sort of like, yeah, there's there's almost conflicts of interest there in terms of you know support the cheese industry, get more cheese into things, but then also. Um, Make sure that Americans are eating healthy and balanced. But what's so shocking to me is that, you know, Americans are trying to eat better. Like, they're trying to use products, you know, like using the almond milks of the world and cutting back on their cheese and and milk consumption. And yet, since that's, you know, and, and the government is basically trying to maintain this old status quo of how much cheese Americans ate. And so they're sneaking cheese into random places. It's so it's so bad. Well, it, it also gets into um, the food pyramid. I mean, so that's like maybe even another, mm. another knock-on effect for Ooh. another time. But, you know... That you, looks like the Illuminati symbol. It, oh, there you go. Well, you know, so you have grains at the bottom. That's another story. That was all wrong. But then also, you know, it, you have the milk, the amount of milk that's recommended um, in the industry. And, and so there's, there's all these things that the government does to try to support the industry. But you're right. In some ways, maybe we shouldn't see so much support because we are maybe maintaining older structures that shouldn't exist. I do want to point out that the U.S. isn't the only country that does this. Um, I was actually reading stories of the Swiss cheese cartel. Okay. There's a cartel um, in the 20th century that was trying to support the cheese industry. And that's why we have fondue. Fondue was created, <laughs> totally serious, as well, an effort to get people to eat more cheese wait so before in like the 19th century there was no fondue well it was pushed more and there was a lot more advertising um and it became a staple of of swiss culture but it it wasn't the fondue Hmm. wasn't really a big thing before that so yeah that's something something you should look up it's an interesting story anyway let's move on wow okay so we have all this excess cheese 
um, dairy management's efforts, I mean, which have been amazing to get more cheese into our stomachs, um, have not been able to make up for the glut of cheese that we have. And the cheese has to be stored somewhere. And the largest storage facilities are in caves <laughs> in Missouri. So basically, um, I want to highlight what Kraft does. So they have this uh, network of limestone mines that are ideal for cheese storage, um, where they use to store pretty much every single cheese product that they produce. Every single cheese product that they produce goes through these these mines. It's 400,000 square feet um, that they have. And it's pretty amazing. They they have this, basically these units to keep the, so the temperature in the caves is already cool, but then they pump a brine to keep it a constant 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, they, a lot of, a lot of these companies wow, use. I mean, I feel bad for the, for the, for the spouses of the people who work there. Like they come home smelling like stored cheese and brine. <laughs> and oh, all that rough. yum, yummy it's stuff. Rough. Well, and that's, oh, and they also get no sunlight. <laughs> right. Yeah. So cheese, cheese everywhere, but not a vitamin D to to drink, drink. or you know. Well, maybe they pop some. Sorry, sorry. Apologies to Samuel Coolidge, but uh... <laughs> that's rough. Yeah. So there's even a place called uh, Subtropolis, which is basically a mini underground city. There are 1,600 people that work in the in businesses that are at Subtropolis, including Light Edge Solutions, which is a cloud computing company that uses the caves to help cool their servers. Then we also have a lot of national treasures there. <laughs> um, so the underground archive that contains the original film reels of Gone to the Wind and The Wizard of Oz are kept there. We don't actually even know all the different movies that are down there because they want them to stay safe and protected and they don't want people trying to like access them were the i i feel like you're about to tell me that some of these classic movies were just like cheese propaganda <laughs> like i'm never gonna go hungry again because i have a cheesy bacon cheeseburger every night not everything that's down in these caves relates to cheese ah. there's a lot of other businesses Darn. that use it and so this has become sort of a, <laughs> a new a new industry um since the 1960s um that a lot of companies are going underground and, and these the biggest reason is that it's constant temperature year round. It's uh, and they're they're really secure. They don't have to worry about like the walls caving in or anything like mm -hmm. that. It's a fake fake cave. So they are these are mines. So it's not like your stalactite stalagmite caves. Mm -hmm. uh, these are old limestone mines that are now being converted. Um, they're in Pennsylvania. They're in Missouri, and and they were abandoned. Or many of them were, and then they realized, oh, so we could because the government's efforts to get limestone into all our foods somehow <laughs> so failed. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, so this that's the thing. It's like we had all these limestone quarries that weren't in commission anymore, and so and actually, some of them, some of the places where there is storage now, they are currently active mines as well. But oh, this good. has become, but it's become mutually beneficial, yeah, because you have this all this cavernous space that wasn't wasn't being used. And this is where we come full circle because the U.S. Postal Service keeps hundreds of millions of postage stamps. Because because I just want to remind people, if in case they got somewhat lost in the cheesy sauce here, uh -huh. that that this is that this is all a way of explaining why more uh, almond milk consumption will impact negatively impact postal stamp storage. Yes, we will. I'll that, make, that's, I'll that's the the kind of narrative arc of the knock and effect today. <laughs> well, so. yeah, we we took a few tangents, so yeah. I'll we'll we'll lay out the uh, cause and effect. In, yeah. in a in a minute. Yes, yes, yes. I'll let you. I'll okay. let you. So 
Basically, we have hundreds of millions of postage stamps in an underground distribution hub in Subtropolis. So since 1982, the U.S. Postal Service Stamp Fulfillment Center has stored uh, postage stamps for the entire country inside of these caves. Are, are we creating too many of these, too? Is that another too, thing the government many, has to... Too many postage too many stamps? stamps? Well, I, I, am I going to go into Wendy's and find a Stampy Bacon Stamp Burger? <laughs> oh, yummy. Yeah, I'll have to find ways to, like, Sorry, Stampy... It. Angus bacon stamp. <laughs> oh, thank thank you for that. Yeah. Well, that sounds delicious. That's a. Th I mean, you know, maybe if people send less mail, they're gonna have us. I know we, we're sending less mail. We're, we're using less milk. <laughs> anyway. Well, also, I mean, but we do have the forever stamp, so maybe uh, we don't have to worry about it as much. Yeah, I, I bought ten, and the word on the stamp perfectly describes how long I'll own those stamps for because forever. I use about ten stamps a lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't remember the last time yeah. I used a stamp. Um, but anyway, I mean, so apparently the nation's most valuable stamps are kept here. There are a lot of collectors that use stamps or keep stamps. Um, and, and so there is that sort of, that isn't an, an industry and an economy that goes on. And, 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 and sorry, I, I just want to put a finer point on that because you told me that the government has these expensive stamps that they'll store and then like sell later, just like they sell, you know, those eagle coins or something. Yeah, like um, commemorative stamps, uh, limited edition stamps. There's antique stamps. Sure. Um, and so there's about 400 to 600 million dollars worth of stamps stored in these caves at any given time. It's called the Fort Knox of stamps. There's pretty high security there. <laughs> but it's also interesting to look at like what else is kept down there. Um, so the National Archives keeps a lot of its items down in these caves. JFK's gurney and medical supplies is kept down there. Um, a lot of other like um, historic items are kept down there. And actually, in Iron Mountain, there's a lot of um, this. This is another cave mm -hmm. system in Pennsylvania. That's where there's a lot of like underground bunkers in case like you know there's some sort of like emergency uh, for some of the most important people to go underground. Let's see there. We'll a nice little conspiracy theory for all you guys if you want to look into it. Yeah, there's probably some, like, you know, cheese-related, oh, yeah. stamp-related, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Government storage. And it, just a way to watch Gone Over the Wind a lot of times. Oh, yeah. I, like that. I would have a blast down there. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, as the apocalypse comes, I just, like, hang out on JFK's... Journey. That's a rough word, man. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, lots of lots of things going down there. Um, also, there's like a lot of like auto parts facilities down there. I mean, it's just easier for a lot of businesses to operate in these caves because of the constant, consistent temperature. Hmm. Anyway, so let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna break down. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna break down what the uh, knock-on effect was because yes, we, we got a little lost in some of the weeds here. So we have almond milk increasing in popularity, uh, which, as the dairy industry claims, is taking away from their milk sales. We then have this increasing glut of milk that's going on. That milk has to be turned into cheese to store it. And then, after it's stored as cheese, it needs to be put somewhere. Um, and so a lot of it's going into caves in Missouri, and that's pushing up demand for storage space underground, which will then impact the U.S. Postal Service. I will mention Subtropolis uh, storing items on there costs about $2.25 per square foot. That is about half the price it costs to store it on the surface. Mm -hmm. But um, that that could increase as uh, 
as more and more cheese. All this cheese has to find a home as it has to go somewhere. Or, you know, we could just, ma- I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to make light of, of the farmer situation because it, 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 it's, it's a really hard situation, right? If you're making cheese your whole life or you're raising cows your whole life, making milk and, and the price is falling due to changing consumer trends. But like, I, it, it just kind of concerns me that the, I don't know, I've already made this point, but it concerns me that, that the government isn't letting the free market do its thing. Now, I know these things happen with the lag because it takes time to raise a cow and milk a cow and who knows how much cheese we'll need in a few years. But but if we just keep supporting cheese year in and year out, it's just more uh, economic activity is going to go to you know things that don't actually benefit everyone because the price mechanism tells you what people actually want. And it, it just like leads to a lot of government spending and a lot of waste. It, and so that's where, you know, in terms of takeaways, it's interesting to look at other markets and see how they've uh, managed to support their dairy industry, but not overproduce. So Canada is one where they balance milk supply with consumer demand through production quotas. And so they have pretty strict quotas there. And they also really limit um, imports, milk imports. And so that's why they've come under scrutiny from Donald Trump saying that, you know, they're trying to regulate their their dairy industry too much um, and that they have really high tariffs. But it's actually kept their milk situation in balance Mm. in some ways, whereas that's not what we've seen in the U.S. And so I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if we did see another federal milk buy up pretty soon. I hope not. Uh, well, you can write a letter to your congressman. See how that goes. <laughs> well, anyway, that does it. Wow this this was uh this was this was uh, I think I think folk, folks are going to have a lot of things to to Google after they listen to this. So yeah. Find out more. I, that that cheesy bacon Angus cheeseburger thing is or, so fast, and not just because it's not kosher, but it's so fascinating on so many levels. Yeah, it's actually it's worth looking up dairy management. There's wow. it's it's interesting just to see some of the behind the scenes workings and there there real there's some really interesting videos that they've produced about how they go about working with some of these fast food chains so yeah worth worth the, a little deeper investigation anyway yeah that does <laughs> it okay yeah and we'll be back next week uh with an interview and following week we're, we're doing kind of a short summer interview series where we're looking at the mar- mar- uh, knock-on effects of specific market moves so stay tuned for that And I do want to mention, I spoke with a subscriber last week who said that we should highlight the fact that Alex and I do all the research and all the digging for all of these stories and make all the connections ourselves as a two-person team, really, in terms of the content. Um, So if you guys have any ideas of stories that you think we should cover, please let us know. We're always on the lookout for new, great ideas. Uh, So email us at podcasts at realvision.com. Yes, and uh, if you... Let, let, let's give them a little, uh, you know, a little incentive. Oh. Uh, if you give a, so you can just give an idea like, oh, I wonder this might be, you know, good to add to the mix at some point. But if you give us a full knock-in effect that starts with one thing, oh. goes through a whole bunch of levels and gets to something else and we actually use it, we will not only credit you in the show, but we will send you the props. Oh, yeah. So you could have gotten lots of cheese this week. Yeah, you could have gotten that 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 uh, rewarmed Domino's pizza Yum. sent to you weeks later. But also, if you just have an interesting story yeah. that you think could work as a nice little middle part to talk about, let us know about that as well. That's such an inside baseball term specifically to the knock on effect. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, you know, the, the middle part of this one was cheese. So we started out with almond milk, ended up with postage stamps. Just, just like uh, just cheesy, like that taco. Cheesy middle. Just yeah. Like taco. <laughs> All right. I think that's All it. Right. See you guys.
are a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.